So we have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Kimberly Courier. Kimberly is a well-known, well-respected individual within the talent development space. Currently, uh, she leads people strategy at AECOM, a global infrastructure consultancy. Kimberly, we're so excited to have you on. Welcome. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. So Kimberly, can I just put a general question on the table? There is no right or wrong answer to this question. Uh, in my work at Western Governors University, we deal a lot with upskilling and reskilling. And one of the things that I've heard, it has been said that talent development is the guardian of organizational culture. Do you agree with that statement? Yes, and. I don't think I don't think I don't think it's as simple as that. But when you think about the role that talent development and leadership development and even HR in general um, can play when you talk about being the guardian of culture, you begin to think about it from the perspective of we know the people like we know the people well, we're embedded with them. We also have the opportunity to know the leaders. And so in that we get to connect both the people and the leaders. So when there's a disconnect, we can raise an alarm. Um, we, when there is challenge, we can try to educate. Um, and in particular, talent development has an opportunity to train and deliver on it every time we speak to leaders. So whether we're just running a simple little training on a Monday morning or we're running a comprehensive leadership development program, building the next generation of leaders, we can connect everything we talk about to culture, to value, to company purpose. And if we're not, we're missing it. You know, that's interesting. You mentioned the word simple. In my background research on your company, I didn't see anything that suggested simple. Kimberly, can you talk a little bit about your organization, the scope, the Span. Yeah, well, talking about the scope and span of ACOM would take the whole hour. But um, it, it, you know, one of the ways I like to think about ACOM is we're uh, the world's largest infrastructure company that no one's ever heard of. Um, you know, we we you've probably driven on our road or used one of our trains or been into one of our stadiums or benefited from a, from one of our. Um, from one of our remediation efforts or um, environmental impact issues. Uh, and we do those types of projects all over the globe. So if you can imagine us building um, the Intuit Stadium in uh, San Diego and the Mercedes Dome in Atlanta. And in between that, we also have been harvesting the wildlife, the wildflower seeds in the desert of California to make sure that we can repopulate that desert each year to prevent erosion. Um, and meanwhile, we're helping building levees in, uh, in New Orleans, and that's just the U.S., right? And you can replicate that over and over again in all of the countries that we serve. We've got 50,000 people strong, and, and we're growing, and we're, um, we're going at a pace that we're comfortable with, that we know we can meet our clients' demands as infrastructures become pretty popular right now with the aging infrastructure that so many countries is facing. Well, and I wanted to ask about that because in my limited research, one of the surprising data points, and anytime you put a data point on the table with an expert, you always run the risk of getting it wrong. But I saw that over the last two years, there was a roughly 20% growth in the number of new employees at AECOM. Uh, how do you explain that? One, it meets the demand, right? We try to hire to, and um, we try to hire really intelligently to make sure that we're getting the right talent assigned to the right projects with the right set of skills that are transferable um, across the globe. We're really one of the pillars of our strategy is to think in it globally. And so part of that is running global teams and thinking about how we can take the expertise in one place and applying it in another. So our 20% growth, it's, it hasn't been easy, right? It's been, a, it's been a dedicated effort, 
but it aligns with the projects that we bring. I will also say that we offer a unique proposition in the workplace right now. If you're an, en an engineer um, or someone who does large-scale logistics or project management, anything that can fall into that infrastructure bucket, you know, our purpose is to deliver a better world. And we are tip of the sphere when it comes to ESG efforts, and we bring that to our clients. We're committed to carbon reduction. We're committed to building cities that work for everybody. And that offers people who are committed to things similarly and a real opportunity to come to work, get paid, use their strengths, and help deliver a better world. And I think that's been a really resounding message that we've both tried to bring to AECOM in the last three years since Troy Rudd, our CEO, became, um, became CEO and that we're trying to share with the marketplace. We have a really big um, external campaign about um, who we are and what we do. Um, one of the strategic pillars that we've built around thinking that globally is to invest in our people. And we don't just say it, we actually do it. We do it through programs that offer considerable impact, upline and downline. Many of the things that I do, including helping develop the next generation of leaders, helping de develop the business leaders, helping develop managers. We also offer extensive career paths. We've, we've um, elevated our benefit. Uh, we have a really um, strongly invested in employee value proposition. Uh, we have flexible work. So we're trying to bring the whole of our belief around investment in our people to all of the things that we do. I think all of those things help. You can't just say you love, you value people and then do nothing that values people and what they need. And AECOM stepped up to that in the last three years without question. That, that is so powerful. And it resonates so well with us in that emphasizing people and humanity and compassion and empathy are really the, the, the watchwords that we've been hearing about uh, from our partners and clients. Uh, Jess, I'll turn it over to you. Any questions on, on your end? Oh, yeah, totally. You know, um, I think about this question. You, you look at people who have decided they want to play your sport, right? They're passionate about, you know, you, you know I know your previous companies and watching some podcasts and things you've been on, like you've been an advocate for learning the whole time. You've, you've built a career around it. Um, and there are so many people that would, would love to have achieved what you achieved and, and to be leading this, you know, 50,000 people. And yet so few people in with, with your career background have accomplished this. What, what do you think you've done different? What do you attribute some of your success to? I think part of it, frankly, with AECOM is um, being in the right place at the right time. Uh, and, I, and I don't mean to say that I, I don't bring value, but uh, I work for the CHRO. She saw something in me and she knew what Troy's vision was for the organization and she was able to connect that. Um, so that leadership and being there and, and, um, and being a part of that transition because we were Everything was disrupted in 2020, not just because of the pandemic, but because we got an all new CEO and a largely like an 85% new leadership team. So everything changed for the organization in the fall of 2020. And I had the good fortune of being um, part of the Americas team, but I had just joined, but I'd had an opportunity to spend some time with Shirley Adams, who's our C CHRO. And she saw the value of my experience, my global experience, my belief in people. So I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but I'm kind of answering your question. But I think the thing that you have to do is you have to have um, patience. You have to have some um, ability to communicate at every level why people are important, from the CEO to the new, the new person. I, uh, because if you can't talk about it everywhere, then you can't. And I like to um, think of the leaders that I train as positive disruptors, people who are coming into the organization and they're going to make a difference because we're doing leadership development for a reason, right? No one's perfect. We're all always learning. 
And so in doing that and bringing what they're learning and, and some of their insights and their ahas and why this is important to then their teens creates a great ripple effect. So did I answer your question? Okay, you, you did partially, but, um, but I think you're being very humble. And I, I want to I double click on this. Like, if you're thinking about giving advice to people that want to follow in your steps and reach like this level of leadership, leading, learning for 50,000 people, what advice would you have? Like, what do you see folks not doing and not getting to this level because they're not doing what? A couple of things. I think first, you have to be really uh, read and, and educated on what it is to build human capital, to build leaders, to build managers. I think an outsourcing model is easily closed down as it is uh, you know, purchased and, uh, and ramped up. But if you're bringing a level of intelligence and you're hiring teams to do the same, then you are beginning to have a place and a position and an opinion in a broader conversation instead of having to hire third just but someone like you to come in and do it for the organization, right? So I think first of all, you have to be really rooted in. Um, second, you have to be um, you have to have contemporary understanding of what's going on. And you absolutely have to be able to align learning and leadership and talent to the strategy of the organization. Now, I'm in a great position right now, and I would say a unique proposition right now where um, we have a whole pillar dedicated to people in our um, strategy. Um, but if, 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 you don't, if you're not in a position where that's the case, then you need to step back and think, how can what we do as learning professionals, as leaders, how, what can we do to help support and drive our strategy, to support and drive our culture and our values? And if you can't answer that, then you're, then you're in the wrong place and you need to step back and do a little bit more work. Because yeah. at the end of the day, all of the people serve the purpose and the vision and the goals of an organization. And so those two things have to be aligned you're just learning for learning's sake. You're missing a huge opportunity to really advance the company while you help support people in their growth. Did I do better that time, Jess? Okay, I love your passion and I love your sense of ownership. You know, I, I think about over the last decade being involved in, in aspects of your industry and like certainly, you know, whether it's HR function or learning function people who uh, I, I don't feel that sense of ownership from where they're almost like, they almost feel like they're the hotel concierge and they want to make sure that all the employees feel good about the training. Are they going to enjoy it instead of this ownership of like, no, we are, we are improving this company by helping all of our people meet their potential. And like, it's so obvious your sense of, of taking responsibility and your passion rather than like, well, I wonder what everybody else wants. And okay, we could order that and this. And, uh, and it's, I'm not surprised you've reached the, the levels you have. Spencer, what kind of questions does that bring up for you? Well, it prompts one of them. And Kimberly, I did some research and I came across this phrase that I believe you coined. It's this big life vision. Yeah. And I really love that term, big life Thanks. vision. And I gathered that you were focused on how to help individuals achieve their big life vision. But what I want to yeah. do is turn that on its head and speak about organizations and organizations yeah. achieving their big life vision. So what are some of the challenges that you see that prevent organizations from achieving their quote, big life vision? Yeah. Well, first of all, do they have one and does everybody know it? Okay. So let's start there. And sure, there's an organizational vision, but then does each team each year spend a minute connecting their purpose and the organization to that vision, right? So uh, I'll just use my team as an example. Yeah, we have a, a purpose and a, a clear vision for how we want to work as a company. And every year we say, okay, what is our commitment to that? Our vision for what we contribute to this company is to invest in and develop the best professionals possible to help grow and lead the company. So 
if you don't have a vision or you don't know your company's vision and you're not aligning to it, then that's that's the first challenge, I would say. You need to make sure that those those things are connecting. Uh, people, I think, are afraid of that mushy word vision, um, but it's a fundamental part of my leadership training. I believe in it fundamentally for individuals and vision and, and people um, because you have to have focus, right? The thing you focus on is the thing that happens, whether that's as little as an individual or as large as a corporation of 50,000 people. You, if you don't have focus and collective focus on what's most important, now maybe it's not going to be just one thing, but it, it can be a handful of things that are going to have the biggest and most impact on your business, on your people, on how you achieve your goal, how you make your shareholders happy, on how you make your board happy. What are those things that are they're going to help drive that and make sure you focus your people, your energy into that. And that's what I believe is kind of at core of vision. The success of vision is when you have one and you focus on it. It's not any good really to have a vision and then do nothing with it. So, you know, that that idea of being really clear and having clarity on what's most important as that's your, that's the lens with which you make the decisions when it comes to staffing, when it comes to prioritization, when it comes to uh, organizational commitments. And that's how I think you have to really think about vision in the workplace. How did I do, Spencer? Is that all right? That was so excellent. It reminded me that even in my own family, which is just shy of 50,000 people, just a handful, I have to continually say things and my partner has to continually say things for all of us to be aligned. And so do corporations often underestimate the amount it, of time it takes for the collective organization to truly understand what the vision is? Well, yeah. And I, I think the larger the organization, the more difficult that is. I think there's a natural assumption that happens when the CEO says something to their executive team that it, that is going to be repeated exactly in the way that it's repeated downline into into the organization. Now, if you've played telephone as a child, you know that when the word at the end of so that game where you have a long line of kids and Someone at the front picks a word and they whisper it to each person down the line. By the time it gets to that last person, the kit, the word, the statement has been completely disrupted and changed. And now apply that to an organization. So if you don't have a clear communication strategy, and I will credit our communications team at AECOM for being really great at this, a clear communication strategy, building consistency. Um, even fighting gives people who really want to do something well-meaning that doesn't line up with what we're most what's most important that we communicate about right now and why because people can't read everything. Um, and so you have to have clear communication strategy. You have to teach your leaders how to talk about it and hold them accountable to make sure that they're talking about it and then downline holding the next level accountable and the next level accountable. Now, that doesn't happen overnight, obviously, but with consistency, I do believe that it happens. Um, one of the things I teach in our leadership programming here is systems thinking. And if you know systems thinking, you know that there's delays built into systems. And so when I teach them systems thinking, I'll say, well, you remember when Troy started thinking that globally as a mindset as our strategic direction for the organization? How many of you really understood that? in the first year or the second year, you know, now we're in year three and they're like, I don't know, right. Um, and so when you can apply that type of um, understanding to it, people get more patient and they also understand how important it is for them to get in line and communicate in a way that helps, you know, descend the, the message in a powerful way. Yeah, that makes tremendous sense. I just think it's human nature to underestimate how long it takes to get alignment from the top all the way to the bottom, especially in a fast-growing company. 
like AECOM, you know, 20% growth over the last two years. And in a global environment, I can't even get my head around that, Kimberly. How, how does that, how does that happen within a global organization like yours? Yeah, time zones are a challenge, right? Um, so, so I think the first thing I would say is really clear alignment from our ELT, our executive leadership team, everybody who reports into Troy Ryden, Lara Poloni, our president. Um, there's really clear alignment at that level. And they um, are aligned on the work we do and what's important, what we focus on. Um, and there are a billion layers between that and where we start doing business. There's like one. And that was, that's very intentional. And so with, when you start with ELT alignment, then you can begin to garner alignment at the um, regional or the business level, right? And each one of those ELT members is responsible in creating alignment at that level. All right, so that's a little bit harder and more complicated. And then the next level down and the next level down. But I, have, I think it has to start at the top. Then you have to have, you know, really great um, people strategy that supports it. You have to have really great training that supports it. You have to have communication strategy that supports it. So you have got all these complementary things that come in um, behind it, like grassroots and grass tops simultaneously, right? So you eventually the message descends and people understand what they're being told not just hear what they're being told. And that's, that, I think that becomes the challenge in the, like the middle of a really large organization is they hear it, they don't really understand how it relates to them or how it impacts their job. And so that's where you have to really engage and enroll leaders and managers to gain alignment and understanding and then communicate and enroll, it, and enroll people in the same way. It makes me think about something, you know, I think one of the reasons I was excited to do this mini series with Spencer is um, you know, on the show, historically, I've had so many CEOs and founders. And recently, we've had a lot more who are crossing the billion mark or occasionally bigger companies, you know, 20 billion, 47 million. We just had, uh, last week, we had Jeff Hoffman who got, you know, he started Priceline Booking that came 100 billion, right? I can tell the difference in these CEOs. They start thinking about like, well, how am I going to talk to analysts? Like, they're, like their systems have to become so much more sophisticated. And everybody is always talking about how important your people are, how important your people are. Something I feel like we've been missing on the show is like people at scale. And I'm, I'm such a nerd for like Andy Grove. You know, he was like the Elon Musk of his time at Intel. And he talks so much about how training is one of the highest leverage things a CEO can do um, be, because it's of the duplication of, of this upgraded skill set. And, and I, you know, obviously he had the results to prove it, right? Um, and so I think like, Specifically talking to these CEOs who've been on the show or listen to the show who are, who are crossing into the billions or maybe multiple billions who are thinking through like, thinking through learning at scale. Uh, what, what kind of advice you'd have for those leaders? Well, I think first of all, you have to think of it as an investment, not a cost center. And, and I think that's a huge shift, especially when you have analysts and shareholders um, staring down at your um, at your annual reporting and your SGA and your EBITDA and all that good stuff. Um, you have to really begin to position it as an investment and not a, a cost center. And I know it's a cost. I do. Um, I also think that when you um, build a really strong team internally, you can do it really well and you can do it efficiently at lower cost. So as I was saying earlier, it kind of brings it back full circle to what how I approach it. Um, I don't outsource a bunch. I build a team that can do it, right? And there are strategic things that I outsource to strategic people. But I have a team that can deliver on and understand all of these things that we're trying to teach. And we can continually connect them into the business. That makes it a bit more affordable. And it, it also really guarantees alignment. So I think that's the second thing you want to think about building a team you don't need 50,000 trainers. You need, you need the right enough trainers. Like we're reaching thousands and thousands of people each year and we're a team of 11. So, you know, that's, I think that, that we have, you have the ability to do more. You just have to make sure that you build the right skill set inside the organization. Um, 
And then you have to have a team that's willing to do weird hours, right? Or you have to have a really distributed team. Like we're in the process of hiring someone in Australia because we're just having a really hard time convincing people to continually be up for those particular training sessions. So, um, and so we're, we're hiring a account. And as we've grown, we know, we know where we strategically have a gap and we leverage our great talent management partners and our great HR partners are integral part of all of this. But there's only so much we can ask them to do because guess what? They also have really important jobs. And so um, and so making sure that you're thoughtful in how you build your team and you're not just throwing money and resources at things, but you're being thoughtful about who you recruit, what their job is, and that they're bringing the right kind of measured intelligence um, the ability to take a concept and shift it into something that they are able to talk about, uh, that they have that facilitator gene in them. Like, that's what I really believe in in building a team is you build a team of people who know how to talk about this stuff and make sure that they continually get what they need from you. And then they, and in that I get what I need from my bosses. And that, builds a place where people come to us because we're a trusted resource because they know that we can do it and it's not going to cost the organization thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, so I think that's kind of the, a, a great way to think about it. The other thing I would just say is that really sitting down and thinking about how you engage people generally, not just with learning, but in general, like what is the value to the employee? Um, you know, what is, how do we, um, how, what do we believe in in terms of how we work? Um, how do we leverage our technology to support that? So we're a Microsoft Teams company, like so many other companies in the world. And team meetings have become a regular thing. We use our video platform. We really engage in, in using that. Um, and we can reach lots of people that way. Um, and so you don't have to spend tons of money becoming a red wire. And when you know it's important, you get in an airplane and you go to the people and you work with them. But you begin to prioritize that. Obviously, there's great technology out there that can support, support self-directed um, and technology-driven learning. And I don't, those are just as important to have as a kind of a foundation. But no one opens up an e-learning uh, platform or a, a, a learning management system and goes, oh, all of my problems are solved, right? They're usually overwhelmed by 35,000 courses. And which one should I take? So if you're not helping them navigate that or helping them understand what's most important in there, then you're just kind of spend, you're throwing really big money at something that's not going to actually be a solution for you. You know, I, I'd love to follow up on one of the things you talked about there is this like the value to the employee like obviously Andy Grove is talking about the value to him as the CEO the value to the shareholders that we've got these we've got the same employees with the same salary that now can produce more right but uh, I look at some of the organizations that I look up to in the way they do their training and it's not like they're not measuring did everybody stay in the me meeting till the PowerPoint was over they measure did they practice it enough times to get good at it right? And how much like happiness humans get from achievement and improvement of self-image because of skill upgrades and like, like that has to affect retention and, and just what it feels like to work here. Can you talk about those benefits? Yeah, I sure can. And, you know, we've been um, really active at ACOM. We're on our, our third year of, of being part of this, you know, strategic part of this organization. And we're starting to get you know, notes back from participants from a year ago who are like, man, I had no idea what I was capable until I came into your session. Like that, that moment is such a, a sweet little gem for, for people who do what I do. Um, we focus a lot less on like what people might call ROI. Like we're not, we're not counting training hour per cost per, you know, star sheet. That's, that is not how we approach it. We really look at what is, where is our most important place to invest in learning? So we have a couple of key areas that we make strategic investments in. So we have, um, we, we, you know, we, 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 we mo I modeled it off, loosely off of the book, The Leadership Pipeline, and recognizing that there are junctures in people's career where they um, have to learn a new skill set, and it's a hard turn, right? It's like what you turn. And so we have identified those areas in AECOM and we're making sure that we're delivering um, 
just-in-time training, if you would, or anticipatory training for those people with high potential to those people at that time so that they're ahead of that curve. And so we, so we first we measure it by where is our biggest need. Guess what? That also happened to be where our turnover was three years ago. So not surprisingly, you know, when you make the right investment in the right areas, you can begin to see an impact in turnover. We're not singularly responsible for that. All the other bits of our people strategy are also in support of that. The career development planning that we, you know, our, our um, play value proposition, all of that. Um, but when, when we think about it from the perspective of what do people need when they need it, and then we test that theory, right? So did we give you what you need? Are you able to advance? We look then for promotions. We look for promotions in particular areas of ED&I that we're um, focused on as a company. We look at um, retention and, and referrals. Like We love it when someone says, oh my gosh, my team needs this. Can we do it for our te- my team? That means, you know, we're, we're striking the right mark. And that's really what we look like. We do all the counting of the data, right? We count all the seats and we, um, we ask all the questions and we do all of that. I don't want to dismiss it, but I don't think that's the story. I think the story should be in the people we deliver to and then what happens to them after that. Don't just train them and drop them off a cliff. They're yours now. They're part of your your tribe. And so you need to take investment in them. We have a really robust alumni programming approach. So just because you finished a program with us doesn't mean that you're not going to hear from us again. You're going to hear from us pretty regularly. Um, and we leverage technology, obviously, for all of that. But we have an ongoing dialogue with the people who choose to who learn, who choose to learn in our organization. And that I think that's begins to then make a ripple effect on the organization. And you begin to see the data in what I might call the lagging indicators, um, which is, of course, you know, promotions and um, the slow turnover and um, referrals into the program and things of that nature. No, I think you completely got it. This, this idea that like the training isn't just for the value of the shareholders or to make senior management jobs lives better, that this idea of like... It's almost like learning and training, you know, sorry, training, development, learning as a perk, like as a, like, I'm going to make this employee's life better. I'm going to help them get the promotion they want. And I'm going to take some responsibility in measuring that and making my program better if I'm not achieving that. And looking at things like turnover and like, instead of just like, did I deliver, did we deliver a training? This idea of like, did our trainings work? Like back to that, like what I admire about you is like taking ownership for the whole program here. Well, one could argue that if it's good for your people, it's good for your business. And if it's good for your business, it's good for your shareholders, right? That, if you really want to get holistic about it, like that is how I have always thought about it. Now, I've had plenty of leaders who would push back on that, but, um, but that's how I think about it. And uh, that's how I try to deliver on it. Sorry, I interrupted you. You know, to me, that's the difference between short-term thinkers and long-term thinkers or, or you know, myopic leaders or leaders with a bigger aperture like look at how much richard branson says like take care of your people so well that they'll take care of your customers um spencer what kind of questions does this bring up for you well i have so many thoughts i have so many thoughts this has been such a rich conversation uh but before i jump into maybe a question one of the things that i'm hearing from you kimberly is this um emerging sense of self-awareness within your organization at the team level where they are saying, hey, I need this and I know the company can provide it. Uh, That may sound like a baby step, but I have to compliment you. For me, that is the sign of really good success that this program or or set of programs is really working. but here's my question, unless lest I run the risk of offending uh, 50,000 people in one city, uh, which would be quite the accomplishment. Let, let me just kind of clarify uh, my question here. Um, I know a little bit about the uh, construction industry, but I would think for most people, they feel, well, you just drop some plans, you move some dirt, you pour some concrete, and you flip the lights on and it's all done. And 
the, 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 you know, the, the, the infrastructure industry has drastically changed just with a quick overview of some of the projects that you're working on. I was completely blown away because this is not the construction world that I remember. So as an example, there is a new platform that I believe your company has rolled out to accelerate the delivery of infrastructure when you start thinking about environmental impact statements and where these were uh, maybe 10 pages, 15 pages. Uh, today, they could take up an entire shelf in a library just for one project, like 600 pages. But a platform that greatly, you know, uh, uh, re re reduces the complexity of that process and allows people to collaborate at scale. I think you have another project that makes it easier for communities to provide feedback on really, really important projects. And I'm thinking, my word, boy, I wish I had some of these tools back in the day. And for me, it really speaks to how all industries are going through this digital transformation. And, and I, would, I would think that there is such a rapid pace of change in the skill sets that are needed in what would be thought as of, you know, uh, digital uh, uh, resistant, you know, occupations like, con like construction or infrastructure design. Uh, but that is not the case. And so... Uh, how are you? How are you grappling with this at AECOM, making sure that um, your you, your your people? You you mentioned this term. We want to develop the best professionals. How are you able uh, to do that with this rapid, you know, uh, uh, digitalization revolution that's 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 happening? So, so the di the the digital uh, work that we're doing. I'd say the first thing we did was kind of check the landscape. What, where is, where does it make the most sense to, um, bring a digital tool? And, and, you know, there was, there was some need to probably boil the ocean at first, but in the last uh, year, there's been some refinement and like, what are the most important digital tools? Um, and there was, because we're humans, of course, there was change resistance, right? There was, it wasn't something that people woke up and went, oh, that's so wonderful. We have a brand new digital tool. Um, but we integrated it into all of the conversations that we have around what success looks like for the organization and how do we optimize. And then we spend some time, and, and that's not in my team, so I don't want to take credit for it, I, but the digital team gave it some really thoughtful uh, time on how do we train up people to leverage this technology using the skills that they have, right? And the way I like to think about it, the way we talk about it, is what is the highest and best use of your time? Is the highest and best of your use of your time managing the 55 binders that it takes to show your environmental impact? Or is the highest and best use of your time bringing that intelligence and experience and consulting to our client and then feeding information into a tool that then help us spit that stuff out and help it and check it for quality and check it for um, standards and benchmark it and so on. And so as you begin to um, think about how we use our time, right, we're, we're a professional services company. So how we think about billing our clients and delivering on projects. Yeah, there are people who are doing very hands-on work. And there are people who are also taking that, taking what's their best use, their best skill, their best intelligence, and applying it to the digital space. And so, you know, sometimes that means reskilling them so that they know how to leverage it. Sometimes it means reskilling them so they know how to sell it. Um, and so there's, there's, there's some complexity in, in bringing digital tools to our, not just to our workplace, but to those clients that we serve. And we're on that journey, you know, we're a couple years in and, um, but I, I see us making strides because people can feel the impact of it in terms of how they spend their time. Well, in the perfect, uh, speaking of journeys, um, you've mentioned this multi-year program 
think and act globally. It sounds like you may be in year two or three. And so I've just been dying to ask you, so how long is the first phase of this program? How do you feel it's going? And then the big question, so what's next? Where do you see this going? Yeah, let me be clear. Let me clarify something. So Think and Act Globally is our global strategy. And that was rolled, that was rolled out in um, 2020 when Troy Rudd became our CEO. And then we have four strategic pillars underneath that. One of them is invest in our people, which is where the work I get to do set, sits. The learning strategy, the leadership development strategy that I really run is that we call it leadership at all levels, which is to say that people can lead at any juncture in their career. And we know that. We know we see, we see kids on an eight-year-old soccer team who are obviously natural leaders. Um, and so you don't have to be appointed to a particular role in order to be a leader. And so we're trying to debunk that and begin to educate and, um, and acknowledge that people have something to contribute at each level. So to support that, I built a leadership capability model that we have both for our senior leaders, but also for individual contributors, which defines um, what is it going to take to lead a come into the future? That's you know, one of the, like, we ha you have to know what behaviors we're working towards in order to build something that's meaningful. The marquee program that we've rolled out is called, as called CEO Circle. And it is, it is a, a it's a 12 month program. We're on our second round, um, sponsored by Troy Ryan, our CEO. And it is um, a very bespoke program. We partner with Wharton, who are great partners. Um, and so we we leverage them as a partner for an AYACOM program. We don't just give our people to Wharton. Wharton will come to us. Um, and so it's an integrated program. We deliver some of the content. They deliver some of the content. And our and that was very intentional. We did not want to just farm our people out. We wanted to make sure they felt like they were part of AECOM in this leadership development experience. Troy is completely hands-on of it. He was hands-on on the design. He is hands-on on the implementation. And that's a real joy to work with a leader who wants to be there. About three months into that, um, the planning for that program, he was, you know, I think we should do something with Laura as a sponsor. So now we have a program called Business Builders which is a program for the next layer down of leaders. And we map it to career levels, which won't mean anything to anybody other than to say we're looking at kind of people who are almost in the executive role for the CEO circle. And then the next layer down, people who will future, be the future of the business leadership. And so um, or we have a slightly larger group there. We deliver most of it virtually. We partner with Center for Creative Leadership. But again, it's our program. 90% of it comes from us. Um, and, and we deliver a program for 150 people on an annual basis. We have a rolling program called Effective Manager that um, is kind of where we started, just teaching people some basic management skills. And it was interesting when we started teaching this in, um, in May, April and May of 2021, we get people legitimately on in our calls. We're running 20 sessions a week at 20, 20 participants per session or serving about um, 500 per um, cohort. So it's a seven week program. And we get people legitimately asking us on the, on these manager training sessions. So, so we're allowed to do this. We're, we're allowed to manage like this. And it was like, and so that's something I go back and tell, uh, you know, Laura and Troy and, and, and um, Shirley, my, my, my boss, my CHRO, because they need to understand that there's a huge disconnect. And so I tell that story to all of those leadership programs that we run because they need to understand the reality of what their people are feeling. And so, and so then we have it, we actually have also a program for our early entry, like so folks who are transitioning out of their first two or three years in their career who are moving from consultant to trusted advisor. We have a program for them. And then we're building a third global um, leadership development program for high potentials below business builders. So we're, you know, we're about one year away from kind of having it all built. Now, so that's, so that's the programs that we run. It's all around leadership at all levels. Um, and the, you know, your question is like, what happens when we have to an analyze what's next? So, um, so the first thing is that I would want to keep these programs fresh. 
you know, what, what's the need today may not be the need in two years. So we do a constant analysis and review of, is this content on point? Have people finally got this and we need to move on to something else? Oh, we've identified this is a deeper, this is a deeper need. We need to do more negotiation training, for example. So the programs themselves are helping us identify other gaps that we need to attempt to fill in some way or another. Um, and we'll make sure that they stay fresh. So we're not going to just presume that what we teach this year will be the exact same thing we teach next year. We're going to make sure that we're staying contemporary with the needs and continually align that with um, our purpose and the challenges that we're experiencing within our leadership ranks to achieve that purpose. Does that help a little bit, Spencer? It perfectly does. Wow. So this is just a small thing that you're doing, Kimberly, like a five audience leadership development program uh, at scale. Uh, that is remarkable. And then I was thinking, well, it sounds like this started during the pandemic when people couldn't meet in person. So was this, did you have to go to a remote or a hybrid framework with leadership development? And so I am not a fan of um, hybrid, having people in the classroom and having people virtual. I think it has to be one or the other. Um, perhaps an unpopular decision in some places, but I think um, to really create a good learning experience, people need to be sharing something. They need to be sharing an experience. Um, so when we started, the first program out the gate was our effective manager program, and that was and is uh, virtual. That we we run it in virtual classrooms, um, about of about twenty people, uh, and that that will maintain that way because that's how we can run it at scale. And we run we started with three cohorts a year. Um, now we're down to two, but you know we're delivering to somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand people a year, maybe a bit more than that. Um, with CEO Circle on the other end of that spectrum, CEO Circle, um, it was our first, one of our very first in-person meetings as part of the organization. So it was in, um, it was in, it was in November of 2021. So as you could imagine, like everybody tested when they left their home and everybody tested when they got to the hotel and everybody tested on the first day and everybody, so there was all kinds of testing protocols. Um, and we, um, we, I'll be honest, we tried to talk uh, Troy out of it a couple times, like we should shift that to the, this, to the, to the spring because, you know, everybody's still really nervous about COVID. And he's like, we have to get something started because we've been promising it. And if we don't deliver, it's going to be the same old, same old at ACOM. Um, so, so we, we did, we did it. We did all the, the took all the rigor to be safe. Obviously we worked hand in hand with our safety team, um, Safety is really important to us. Um, and so as an organization, it's one of our, our four values. And so we made sure everybody was safe. And you didn't have to come. You could defer your participation to the following year if you were uncomfortable traveling. Obviously, we still had a couple of countries that were still closed down. And so we tried to find ways to virtually support their leaders. But we we had to hold a line on what we were trying to create for the, our people and what was important in the in an experience like CEO Circle, um, and so and so we kind of applied that logic to all of the programs in our space. We do reach thousands of people each year. We we, we do this and we do this in support and in, in conjunction with the AECOMU, who reaches the other thousands and thousands. The other thing we do is we run Manager Mondays. So we pick a new topic every month. It is open call to anybody who wants to come, doesn't even be a manager. Pick a new topic every month, and it's 45 minutes. We run it in all the time zones across the globe, and it's just a little quick hit of knowledge. And we have a, some people who like really are actively um, really love those programs because it just gives them a little nip alert of learning when they need it. And that obviously we have the potential to reach you know, thousands and thousands more doing that. So, um, so, so our programs, you know, some of them were intentionally very small. Some of them were intentionally very, very, we're running them at scale. Our goal is to hit every manager for our effective manager program. Um, and, and we'll probably hit that mark approximately end of next year. Uh, and, and, and next fiscal year. So we're, you know, and then we'll like roll it into, 
new managers. So people who are new to AECOM or newly promoted, then we enroll them in the program. Then we have to ask ourselves, what's next for managers? What else do they need? And so we're already trying, we're already starting to test some of that. Um, so you have to keep things lively. You have to keep things green. The other thing I'll tell you is I'm a little bit old school. I think the things that you, that built leadership development 20 years ago are still really important to teach and learn and understand. I'm a, I'm a devoted follower of Peter Senge and the Society for Organizational Learning. I fundamentally believe in those core leadership capabilities and I teach them and we roll them down and through all of the, the training that we deliver because those things are timeless. They teach you to lead in any environment because there's not set to a condition or a way or a company. It's how to adapt, how to listen, how to communicate, how to communicate and hear, how to communicate your message, um, understanding where you sit in a system and how to lead from it and how to have focus and vision and, and master personal challenges through that vision. And so I'm, you know, that's a, a passion point for me. And I always get really happy when I get to teach it because obviously you found my blog, um, which is a little, it's been a little stale. I was actually giving myself a little pep talk today. And I had, I had dealt with some um, personal illness and, you know, it was, it was interesting. You know, some people get um, a little off topic, but some people get sick and then they want to talk about what that journey was. And I went opposite. Um, and, and I don't know why. So, well. This has been so fun. Um, if people want to connect with you, uh, I, know, I know we're kind of out of time here. If people want to connect with you, is LinkedIn the best place? Yeah, LinkedIn's a great place to find me. Um, that, that, yeah, that's the best way to find me. Absolutely. I'm there. Well, uh, this has been fun. I like, I want to go back through and like take down notes and go like, you know, even though my team is absolutely tiny compared to yours, like there's so many principles that I'm thinking like, actually, we should be, we should be doing this with our people, even though we're not at this scale. And, uh, Appreciate all the time you spent with us today. Oh, it's it's my pleasure. It was great fun. And thanks for inviting me again. Um, and uh, if I can ever be of service to you again, please just let me know. I'm happy to support both of you and in your endeavors because uh, people are important. We got to build networks to support each other.